So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 30. And this morning, we're continuing our time in a, in a conversation that Jesus is having with uh, the people and the religious leaders during the Feast of Booths. And if you remember, one of the things that Jesus said earlier, both to the people and the religious leaders, was he stood up and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, in response to this, in response to Jesus' statement, the people questioned both his witness and his claims. See, it would have been one thing for Jesus to say, I can lead you to the light, or I can point you to the light of life, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, he is the light. He said, he is the life. In fact, what we learn from Jesus later, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so last week in chapter 8, what we really looked at was what it means that Jesus is the light of the world, and why the people and the leaders were rejecting him. And really what we learned was that people reject Jesus. They reject him as the Christ, as the light, because they have a dark and sinful heart. And really, those who live in darkness don't want their evil deeds exposed. They don't want to hear about trusting someone else besides themselves. I mean, like the Pharisees in the text, they'd rather question Jesus and reject him. But see, we also learned that the light exposes all of us. It's not just that the light exposes those in the text and those people back then. The light exposes all of us. And so the question is not if it will expose us, but how will we respond to the exposure? I mean, do we love the light or do we hate it and reject it? See, this is what Jesus is continuing to address in our text today. That for those who reject him, they will die in their sin, as we'll find in the text. But for those who receive him and they believe in him, they will have eternal life. See, this is the message that is at the heart of this gospel letter. And this is really what Jesus has been addressing for some time. That unless you come to him for life, for nourishment, and for your thirst, nothing else will satisfy or save you. Nothing else. Only Jesus alone will. And so church, as we go to read our text, my prayer has been and really is for our time that we would have open hearts, open eyes and softened hearts, willing and ready to receive the truth of the gospel. Even if for us, it is, it is simply a reminder of the hope within us. And so what we're going to learn and seek to apply today in our outline is that those who seek without seeing die in sin because they do not know Jesus Christ, but those that genuinely believe are saved. If you're taking notes this morning, those are your uh, fill in the blanks. And we're going to read in John chapter 8, starting in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, 
You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. And so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the words of Jesus in this text. God, although... uh, we may think of them as, as harsh or very strong. I pray that we would hear them and receive them honestly. That we would not be quick to re- reject or turn away from the words of Jesus, but that we would willingly hear and seek to know. May we see and behold Christ in the text. God, we thank you for your word, that it is true, that it is living and active. May you guide us in this time and point us to the truth of who you are. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So as we look at these verses, what we find is that these words of Jesus in the text are very strong. But I want to remind us to not easily forget what he had said just a few verses back in verse 12, which was an invitation to come to him. I mean, this is continually Jesus's approach. And and even though he continues to, to give an invitation, what he is quickly met with again and again is rejection and questioning. See, the, the scribes and the Pharisees did not like the light of Jesus. And really, if we, if we remember from last week, we learned that this is because the light of Jesus, the light of truth is repulsive to some. I mean, they don't want to be told that they are a sinner in need of a savior. And they definitely don't want to be told you will die in your sin, as Jesus is saying. And see, the problem today with, with many is that many will read it and, and hear it and actually, they will want to look away or reject what Jesus is saying. And really, church, I believe this is because we often look at texts like this and we think of it as condemning. We just think that Jesus is just running his mouth and saying condemning things, and then we reject its warning. But really, I think we need to look closely at what Jesus is saying. In verse 21, he said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. See, remember that before Jesus said this, they had been questioning him about his witness, about his witness and his claim that the father bore witness to him. 
And so this is why Jesus said in response to them earlier in verse 19, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. See, this is a warning. This section we are looking at today is a warning. This is not condemnation. This is in fact an invitation and a reaching to an already condemned people. See, where we find one of the most incredible verses about God's love and work to send the son, which we often have memorized and and known, very familiar to us, which is John 3.16. That text continues to explain this very issue. If you remember back in John 3, when we looked at this chapter in verse 17 and 18, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's invitation. That is reaching. Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. They are an already condemned people. See, this is the same issue in our text. Jesus's words here in chapter eight are not spoken to condemn Yes, they are received as confrontation, but they're actually a warning that if they continue to reject him and seek but not surrender, then as Jesus said, they will die in their sin. And where he is going, they cannot come. See, to reject Jesus and not believe in him results in a continuing in condemnation. See, many times in this letter, we have found that people reject Jesus. And this is because they do not believe that he is the Christ. They do not believe that he is the long-awaited and expected Messiah. And so really, when Jesus comes into the scene, they want Jesus as Savior physically. Many want him as Savior politically, but not spiritually. They want the saving of life, but they don't want him to be their life. And so ultimately, they continue to look for someone else. Jesus is before them and they are rejecting him. That in their blindness and in their spiritual death and hardness of heart, they're rejecting Jesus. I mean, they were even zealous to continue to look for a savior that they would accept. And really what we find of their result of their searching again and again is what Jesus told them that if they did not receive him as God in the flesh, the son of God and savior, Jesus Christ, they would die in their sin. That they in fact would bear the full wrath of God's anger against them for their sin. That they would remain as John 3.18 says, condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so church, this is what we need to realize about what the Bible says. There is no neutral ground. There is no purgatory or, or waiting place. In, in this day and age, if we were to ask a, a hundred people the question about hell, a hundred people would give different answers. And so hell may have different designation, designations or explanations by many, but there are only two places, heaven which is eternity with God and hell, which is eternity without him. These are the two places 
and everybody chooses. I mean, understand, there may be a theological argument about who's responsible when people get saved, whether it's God completely or whether men have anything to do with it. But there is no argument biblically about who's responsible when people go to hell. And it's because people choose. See, in other words, Jesus has given the call to repentance here. And when people do not repent, when they do not turn to him and believe, if they are not turning away from sin, then they are responsible. They are at fault. Now, here's what I know as well. Many do not like this fact. I mean, even the people in the text do not like what Jesus is saying. And so this is why they respond to Jesus, not with repentance, but with a very snarky jab. Very, very spiteful statement saying, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. See, in saying this, what they meant was in Jesus' day, the Jews taught that the lowest levels of Hades were for those who committed suicide. That those who committed suicide went to the worst part. And to this, Jesus responds, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. See, this is not Jesus responding saying, I know you are, but what am I? That's not his response. This is Jesus saying, I know what I am and I know who I am. Jesus had explained to the Pharisees and now to the people that he knew where he came from and where he was going. We saw this in verse 14 that he knew that he was God in the flesh, the savior and the light of the world. That he came to earth, in fact, to obey his father, to make the way of salvation for all those who would believe in him through his life and his death and his resurrection. And that after he rose from the dead, he was going to return to his throne at the right hand of the father. And so here in our text... Jesus is continually pointing them toward himself. I mean, we find many times throughout the gospel of John and throughout all of the gospel letters where Jesus is saying, repent and believe. I mean, this is in fact how the gospel of Mark opens. Repent and believe upon the gospel. See, Jesus continues, even though they respond spitefully, he continues to engage. And he says in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, I am the Christ, you will die in your sins. See, remember the reality of what we talked about last week, that people are blind. They're spiritually blind and they're not seeing him. But in fact, Jesus is confronting the people with what they need but they are rejecting him because it's not what they want. And that is a big difference. And so let me ask you, friends, are you seeking Jesus for what you want or for what you need? Because see, those are not the same thing. See, Jesus's words and his work is about what you need. And this is what the people in the text are not seeing. That in fact, they're seeking him, but they're not seeing him. In fact, I think today this is why many reject him. 
that they want a savior that speaks to and really addresses their wants. I mean, this is the modern message so often. I want to be happy. I want to be rich. I want to feel good. I want to be healed. I want. But honestly, Jesus is not a savior that came and died for our want. He came and died and rose again for our need. He came and preached to already condemned people that there is life and freedom in him. And so Jesus's message all throughout the Bible is you need to be forgiven of sin. And he alone is the way to forgiveness. See, this is why he said in verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, friends, the reality is that unless you are looking upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will die in your sins. That unless he is your life, unless the light of Christ is in you, and unless you have placed your trust and your hope and your everything upon him, then as the text says, and Jesus says from his own mouth, you will die in your sins. I mean, you may have all you want in this life, but still not have what you need, which is Jesus Christ. And see, what we need to really understand and press into is that a mere knowledge of this need is not enough. I mean, even the people who Jesus is talking to in the text, they know what he is telling them they need. They just don't believe that he is the one who can give it. See, they're seeking other saviors and they are looking past the true savior, Jesus Christ. This is in fact what we continue to find in the conversation as the people ask Jesus in verse 25, who are you? And they ask an important question, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. See, the question they ask here is a question all of us have asked or really need to be asking, who is Jesus? See, there are very important questions, but the issue is they're they're looking past him. They're not listening to him. In fact, you may note this in many conversations, like I have with my wife, she'll ask me, what do you think of that? And I'll say, I'll be honest, I need you to repeat what you just said. (laughs) Sometimes I think we're not really listening. We think we're listening, but we're not really listening. We act like we're present, but we're not really present. And so they're asking him this question, but it's not sincere. And so let me tell you, for all who desire to grow and know more about Jesus, they should search and study the word because it points to Jesus. I mean, this is a wonderful question to go to the word and with a sincere heart ask, who is Jesus? But see, the question is really questioning. It really came from a heart of confusion and even contempt. That although Jesus had told them again and again who he was, they continued to ask, really always hoping for an answer that they could use to to trap or, or condemn him. And so if you remember, I know we're all distracted, but if you remember, this is what we learned earlier 
in chapter 5 when Jesus had healed the man at the pool. In verses 39 and 40, Jesus responds to the very same issue. He responds to the very same issue of his witness being questioned and his claim to deity being questioned. And he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, do you see what Jesus had told them? It's that all of scripture points to Christ and Christ alone. And friends, if you are asking the question genuinely this morning, who is Jesus? Then search the scriptures and come to Jesus that you may have life. I mean, listen, the response of many is as Jesus said back in in John chapter five, verse 40. I mean, we even find this here in the text that they refuse to come to him that they may have life. And this is because simply they do not know him. But see, understand, no one is missing Jesus because he has not made it clear who he is. No one is missing Jesus because he's unclear. And no one is in the darkness because the light is unwilling to come to them. I mean, as I said at the very beginning of our time, people both in the text and today are missing Jesus because they have dark and sinful hearts. They are filled with darkness and like a criminal at night, they don't want to be exposed by the light. They desire to know who he is, maybe what he's about, but they are not interested in what he says. See, this is why Jesus instructs them first to listen. Because if they really take in his words, then they will really know who he is. But see, they're not listening to him. They're looking and listening past him. I mean, this is very common in a conflict, and you may have encountered this before, that there may be one party who is really not listening to you. The party is not listening. They're not hearing you. They're actually looking and listening past you. And see, this reveals that they don't know him. They're not listening to him. I mean, much like many who read the word today and yet don't apply it, do not see it. See, in fact, in in Luther's commentary of this verse, he notes this very issue. He says, whatever therefore one undertakes for salvation apart from the word, it is vain. God will not respond to that. He will not have it. He will not tolerate any other way. Therefore, let his book in which he speaks to you be commended to you. Luther goes on to say, for God did not cause his word to be written to no purpose. He did not want us to let it lie there in neglect as if he were speaking with mice under a bench or with flies on the pulpit. Church, I think there are many who who seek for Jesus today and they do so completely outside of the word of God. And whereas Jesus is before these people God has brought his word. He has preserved it that these words might be before us. And so again, church, we are to read the word. 
We are to think and speak about the word, to study the word certain that God himself is speaking with us in it because it is there that we meet Jesus. It is here that we hear from Jesus and learn about the salvation of Jesus. And so what I've even often contended with people of uh, probably a quote from someone in fact is that for those who would seek to hear audibly from God, read your Bible out loud. God speaks perfectly and truthfully in his word and why we search outside the scriptures for anything that we believe is Christianity baffles me. I mean, friends, if you do not know Christ today, might it be that you are not looking upon him and listening to him in his word? I mean, I urge you, do not be like the people in the text who had Christ before them. They could see him and touch him, and yet they did not know him. See, really, it's that they did not seek to know him. And see, even in this, Jesus continued to speak to them. In verse 26, he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. So you can tell that at this point, Jesus is speaking to a spiritually deaf and dead people. But still, he is faithful. I mean, do you notice Jesus' resolve? That he told them, he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. See, Jesus speaks again in this text to his submission to the Father. And he declares that what he says to men is simply what he has heard from the Father. And so church, this presents a very important example to us that Jesus lays before us now. That no one should be heard as a messenger of the Lord if what they speak is not from the word, from the Lord, and is simply, thus saith the Lord. See, this must be the resolve of every messenger and every minister, that what they speak is the word and the word alone. If you are a guest this morning and you are not part of this church, I would contend for you, if you don't go here, go somewhere where the Bible is preached, where it's not important what your pastor's opinion is, but what the truth of God's word is. Because no other message is of value. No other revelation is true, but the word of God points us to know Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it alone stands true. I mean, just as the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, verse eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the resolve of Jesus in the text that he is speaking about and pointing to God and his word, and his work. But see, like many, John writes that they missed that. In verse 27, we read that they did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. See, very clearly what we need to understand is that if we are looking past Jesus, we do not know him. And if we do not know him, we will never know the Father. In fact, what we may only know is the empty promises and the outward workings of the world. 
but the empty promises that come from the world, the, the message of wealth and health and, and worth will never satisfy. It will never save. Only knowing God will satisfy. And so how do we know God? By seeking him in his word, by praying to him and looking to his word, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. I mean, just as the prophet Jeremiah tells us to boast in the Lord, not in ourselves, not in our own knowledge, not in our own wisdom, but boast in the knowledge and the wisdom of the word. And so church, do you see how all of this is centered around the word? Not what we think or how we feel about Jesus, but what is true in the word. See, what's so sad to me is that many modern day Christians think that there is relationship with Jesus and there is relationship with the word, but they're separated. But see, that's not what we learn in the gospel of John. And that is certainly not what the people understood. In fact, the people understood those to be one and the same. See, in Jesus's day and even earlier, Jewish rabbis often referred specifically to God in his more personal aspects. They, they really referred to God himself as the word of God. In fact, in the Jewish Bible, in the ancient Hebrew editions of the Old Testament, they change uh, Exodus nineteen seventeen, where it says, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God to Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet the word of God. See, in the mind of the ancient Jews, the phrase the word of God could be used to refer to God himself. They were not separate. And so think, what did we learn in the very first line, in the very first chapter in the gospel of John? In chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Church, these are not separable. We cannot view it that way, that God and his word are true, and Jesus is the physical revelation of the Father. See, church, if we do not understand that knowing God comes by knowing Jesus, which results in a deep love and affection of the word, then really we're going to be like those in the text who are simply looking past the Savior. See, one way or another, Christ is going to be revealed. Christ will be revealed and all will finally see. And it's either in this life through belief or at the day of judgment. And so even Jesus explained to the people that although they did not see him or they did not know who he was they would come to know when he was hung upon the cross. In verse 28, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. See, when Jesus was crucified, they would see the perfect obedience of the son of the father. They would see that truly Jesus did nothing on his own authority, as he said. See, church, what I find incredible is, is what Jesus is modeling to those before him, even when they don't understand it, that he is not a savior who asks his sheep to do 
anything he has not done. But what we find in this text and all throughout the Bible is that Jesus willingly suffered for our sake. He willingly went to the cross to be crucified and crushed. And he obediently took on shame and sin. And see, what we even find in the text is that he doesn't even speak or practice his own authority. He doesn't do this on his own. He submits and he does as the Father taught him. See, this again, as we saw last week, points to a perfect and continual unity between the Father and the Son. This is in fact why Jesus said in verse 29, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And so understand, understand this dear friends, even the cross is included in Jesus's mind here. That the cross is pleasing to the father. This is in fact what scripture tells us in Isaiah 53 verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was God's will, his sovereign decree to crush the son. See, church, the cross of Christ points to the glory and the unity of the Godhead. It is the profound display of God's wrath and his love that in Jesus' death upon the cross, God's wrath is satisfied. And in Jesus' resurrection, God's love is set on display. This is what Jesus is telling them, that if you do not believe now, you will see that he alone bore all of our sin and punishment upon the cross, that he took the greatest, most extreme suffering and eternity of pain at once so that for those who would genuinely believe, they may be forgiven. See, in our text, the resolve is the amazing promise that despite the despair, despite the hatred of the religious leaders, verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, we know from the gospel of John that many even had a quick response in, in a moment of belief. Some genuinely believed and some uh, believed only by an outward appearance as John writes and records. And so some may answer today, I, I believe that or I, I can agree with that. I can even get on board with that. But understand we're not talking about what you agree with because Jesus wasn't looking for people who simply agreed with him. He is looking for people to die to themselves and live fully in him. See, many like the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, but unless we live by the words of Jesus, the call of Jesus, it means nothing, and it is simply an empty and, and false belief. Because to believe in Jesus is to believe that he is who he claimed to be. And to believe in Jesus is to trust in him alone for the forgiveness of sins. And to believe in Jesus is to follow him as Lord, not as part of your life, but as your life. 
But see, also what we find in the text is to reject Jesus means we die in our sin. To reject Jesus means that we will not be with him where he is now. And to reject Jesus means that we stand before God, we will stand before God, guilty of our sin, and we will experience his judgment. See, church, what I want you to understand is that the scriptures teach that hell is real and judgment is coming. If you're a guest this morning, understand, I am not someone who just gets up every morning and really examines for the week to come, how can I preach hellfire and brimstone and scare people into heaven? But I want you to understand what the Bible tells us is that hell is real and judgment is coming. And so let me tell you, to those in this room who are part of this church, if we believe the scriptures to be true, how could we not speak about these things? And I don't mean running our mouths and being arrogant because there's many of those types out there, but I mean genuinely preaching the gospel and not some fluffy, lovey-dovey, Hollywood hot pink kind of lovey version of it. I mean the true biblical gospel. Repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Because those who reject that will die in their sin. Listen, friends, there is nothing worse than for a person to die in their sins. There are many funerals I have been a part of with those who did not believe and there is a type of mourning that just feels dark when the knowledge is that the person did not confess Christ and live for Christ. And so if we believe the scriptures to be true, how could we not speak about these things? I mean, in fact, I think not to speak about these things is evil. I mean, this would be like a neighbor trapped in their home while it is burning to the ground and we are simply watching from the sidewalk. How could we not warn of the wrath to come and urge people to repent and believe in Jesus? How could we not warn of that? How could we not speak the truth and evangelize? See, if we're gonna be honest, if we are honestly going to ask that question, I really think it is often because we are incredibly comfortable. I mean, both in our sin and our society. I mean, we live in a culture and a, and a time, even in the church. So understand, I'm not just picking on secular culture. I mean the evangelical church in that kind of culture, in that kind of time, we are incredibly comfortable. And the mentality is to really suppress any feeling or knowledge that would bring to light our state of brokenness, our state of depravity, and our state of absolute spiritual emptiness. And so friends, regardless of how you feel right now, we must press on to what is true. We must press on to what is true. To not quickly move on from Jesus' words or explain away the conviction of sin, just saying, let's just go back to John 3.16. Let's not read on. Let's just stay in that cozy part of the verse. Let's be honest and let's be real. So let me be honest and straight with you. Unless you come to Jesus Christ, unless you repent and believe upon the gospel, you will die in your sin. That is the message of the Bible. 
And listen, I never want to assume that I am only preaching to a room full of believers. Because the reality is some of you may not believe. Some of you may be here just because somebody dragged you here. Some of you may be here because you like the sense of community that Jesus is not Savior and Lord in your life. So understand, friends, as we come to a close, there is an invitation and not one that I have extended or that I can extend, that I can offer, but one that is extended by the God of the universe. And so listen, do not easily forget the words of Jesus in verse 12, that he is the light of the world, that in him there is no darkness, but those who follow him will have the light of life. See, in this, God has extended through the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus, on the cross, an invitation to come to him. That you would believe with a genuine belief and receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so this morning, as we come to a close, I want to ask you an important question. Are you believing upon Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Are you believing upon him? See, if we were to look back in the last eight chapters of John, we would find several groups that, that probably claimed belief. Many that were following Jesus because of what he could give, because of what they wanted, but not all had genuine belief. See, the fact is some, sometimes we are left with an unresolve regarding those who have not yet believed or even those who will not believe. So which are you? Are you believing upon Jesus and Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Let's pray.